to another episode of Hip Hop Social Worker. I'm your host, Christopher Scott. And today I have a, a special guest, uh, Mr. Josh McNeil, out in Boston. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, he's a, a fellow social worker. And uh, he can tell you a little more about, about himself than I can. So uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Uh, good morning or good day, uh, whatever it comes <laughs> out. Happy to you know, talk to you all. Uh, I'm Josh McNeil. Um, I'm a clinical social worker uh, hailing out of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm not from here, but, uh, you know, this is where I went to grad school. Uh, I went to uh, Florida A&M University, uh, which is an HBCU. Um, after FAMU, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. but I found out I was really, you know, I had so much, and I guess maybe we can get into it too. I had a lot of experience working with youth um, from, you know, working um you know, working as a RA in college to being a uh, a camp counselor, summer camp counselor uh, at an army base in Germany, American army base in Germany, to being at a, uh, a American embassy in Tokyo, working with Japanese children and mm. foreign service children, and then um, you know, military dependent children at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Um, after you know all that, graduated from FAMU. Thought I was gonna do law, but I did city year, um, Boston, mm-hmm. and uh, my manager there was like, you know, Josh, I know you want to do this whole lawyer thing, but you know, I can't see you without working with kids. So, I, you know, I graduate, I applied to um, the Boston College School of Social Work. Um, you know, did children, youth, and family with a clinical concentration. Um, you know, I worked at uh, like a uh, outpatient, well, not outpatient, like a day program, mm-hmm. a partial hospital program, and also at a school. And then after that, if y'all know a little bit about Boston, man, Boston, the special type of racism that's here, man, it, it'll do something to you. So I went back to where I'm originally from, Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was a clinical social worker. Well, I was a clinical case manager in, in Brooklyn. Um, doing um, home visits and you know mental health assessments and what have you, and then in the same organization, I was a um, I was a clinical social worker in our Harlem office, and then um, you know I, I I thought hmm there's some still some good opportunities in Boston, <laughs> so you know I came back and you know I, based upon certain little clearance things I can't say the hospital but you know I um. I work at a hospital now as a behavioral health clinician, mm-hmm. um, working with violence recovery and prevention. Um, and then I'm also, uh, I, I'm a fee-for-service clinician at a university here, um, like one day a week. And, you know, in both places I do mental health assessments. I do, um, well, the intakes. I do individual counseling, uh, lead groups, um, you know, risk assessments, um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. That's basically it. That's a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> that is, yeah. that's what's up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like. I feel like uh, the more like people that I meet that have the LCSW, they do a lot of stuff. It's like they really push it to the max. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. you know, like so that, that that's one thing I that, like. Like you know, just sitting down and talking with different social workers and and um, you know, in like. 
and other professions in this, you know, in this field of work, it's like I feel like everybody who gets a license is just it's like it's like nonstop grind, and I I like that, you know right. what I'm saying? Because it's like freedom to you know to work, you know how you work, when you work, you know what I'm saying? Because you know like just what I've learned in my short time of having my MSW, um, it'll be two years in June. Just like a lot of the a lot of places that you work are just like buried in like politics and things like that (laughs) and it's and it's hard to really you know what i'm saying so like and it's hard to really get anywhere you know what i'm saying with your clients and the people you're trying to help when you when you like worried about all this other stuff you know what i'm saying right you know i mean with with the whole elsia massachusetts in new york i was at lmsw Mm -hmm. i guess i still am (laughs) and then in mass that's your first level and then Massachusetts, your first license is LC. But my next, the clinical one, the last one, mm-hmm. is the LICSW. So I'm still um, working on my, you know, my final licensure. Yeah. Get my hours, my supervision, my CEUs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's different in Massachusetts. So Yeah. I know in Oregon, you just got to get your CSWA, which I got. And then um, from there, you get your LCSW. And then I... I don't know if you got to get the LICSW. I've I've seen that popping up and like then like um you know um in other regions, but I don't know if Oregon. I mean, hopefully they don't cuz if they want to find any way to get another you know you know like some money from you, they're going to get it. <laughs> but I remember when I was in uh, high school, I really wanted to go to FAMU, you know what I'm saying? Oh wow. Uh, yeah, I did cuz uh it was like the first school I really heard of and I like, really like, you know what I'm saying, but I remember, like, I was a freshman in, in high school, and I remember uh, thinking, like, the, um, the the out-of-state tuition, and I was like, it, just, it scared yeah. the hell out of me, so I, so I, yeah. so I backed I backed all the way up. But I remember I, I, remember mm-hmm. I did. I was I was very intrigued with that school, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So, um, basically, I mean, you gave a little background, but uh, is there, like, was there, like, a... Um, a path you took to get to social work? I mean, like, I know you just share, like, a lot of your experience, but was there, like, a, you know, was there something that kind of led you to, like, this mm-hmm. field of work, you know, besides what you already said? Um, I would say just people, it was, I would say a lot of, a lot of times I'm not the best in seeing stuff within myself. Mm-hmm. So I would say, like, my family um, my grandmother and my mom, they kind of had me on the path somewhat um, to talk me into it, having, like, mentors to talk me into it. But I would say specifically, um, there was a, a student when I was in City Year, Boston. And City Year, for all you don't know, City Year is, like, it's in the same, kind of the same realm as, like, Teach for America or uh, Peace Corps, but it's, like, a more of an urban Peace Corps where you're doing you're working on attendance initiatives, behavior initiatives, mm-hmm. and coursework initiatives. And there'll be people who are young people who they'll score or they'll have some type of thing to where they'll catch somebody who needs some extra support. So we call it in city or starfish. Yeah. And there's a, 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 a young person that was a starfish to me. We just had a, a starfish is somebody, I'm sorry, a city or term, meaning somebody that you have a bond with and you're able to impact. Mm-hmm. And that starfish, um, I would help that young person with, like, after-school homework, uh, you know, met their parents, um, always read with them, 
like have lunch with them, just give them that that one-on-one time and help them to get their grades up. Mm-hmm. I think that was a moment where I, I felt as though that mentorship or just that, I guess that, uh, in a sense, my clinical, my clinical charismatic people skills, interpersonal skills, were what helped me to realize, like, I can really do this. Um, and I, I think it was more so definitely in the city of Boston where I realized you know, after people had saw me and my interactions with my starfish and um, they saw the work that I was doing and also leading my, like, we had a city or team, mm-hmm. leading them around the city of Boston to, like, Martin Luther King, where he used to live, Malcolm X's house, where he used to live, taking them to different civic um, civic places and historical places, um, going to different community activists uh, like there's a brunch in Boston called the Mel King Brunch. Yeah, Mel King is a a brother, a black man. He's probably like 90 or so. He was almost mayor in 1983, and he's been doing a brunch in his house every Sunday for like probably 50, about 50 years or so. Mm. I mean, you have professors that have come through there, and just like that trajectory of meeting people, meeting with activists, meeting professors. Um, meeting with other social workers, meeting with therapists, that put me on that path to go and get my MSW, I would say, along with all the stuff with, you know, working as, again, our RA, um, having international experience, working with youth. Um, you know, those are the, that was the trajectory I was on. So it was all that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into the, um, the therapist realm. I never heard of MSW until I was about to graduate undergrad. And I was mm-hmm. like, Okay, but even with that, I didn't even know what you can do with the MSW. I just knew that that it was MSW. But then, like when I started meeting mm-hmm. people in the field, I was like, okay, well, that's, that makes that makes a little bit of sense. So I started, mm-hmm. just, you know, talking to different, um, you know, professionals and just you know talking to different people who like had like a lot of experience in the field and seeing, you know, seeing like, like the kind of work they was doing. I was like, all right, maybe I can get into this, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. I feel like. Um, like I was never a person to like network or like talk to people when I was younger. I mean, like just it just seemed odd to me. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't know. I've, I'm like you know, it's like prideful in a sense. It's like you know, like I don't know. I was always kind of like I'm um, just like shook to like you know reach out and be like, hey, do you want like is it all right if we sit down and have a conversation? You know. But then mm-hmm. you know, talking to different people, it's like well, that's how you really, you know, that's how you build your network. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Like because because it's rare that I mean, yeah, you could like it could happen, but it's rare that somebody's gonna like you know wait around and you know what I'm saying and like want you to like you know say wait around and want them to like you know come talk to you first. You know what I'm saying like especially mm-hmm. if you ain't got no notoriety. You know what I'm saying that's just kind of how it is. You got to build that up, and to build that yeah. up, you got to kind of you know you, you got to do the footwork. Definitely. You know what I'm saying. So, uh, what kind of other things like um, influenced your practice? Or like what kind of things like you incorporate, you know what I'm saying, into your interventions and your, you know, so the way you reach out and, you know, like the mm-hmm. way you just kind of move in, in social work? Um, I mean, I mean, I can, I think it depends per client, but, you know, of course, like, um, CBT, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, you know, just a good basis. Um, I think working with, and I hope nobody, you know, facts only is me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hashtag facts only. I need to get more into the narrative base because okay. I feel as though um, with narrative based therapy, I think more for like black and I have a lot of 
black and Latino clients, I would say, all, right? Yeah. They like to be heard. They like to be validated with some things about this is your story. Tell me a little bit about this. How can I be of assistance on this path as you tell me and we kind of process things? Um, because I think sometimes overstructure, and I'm definitely, I've been told I've been too structured at times in my practice. Yeah. And what I do, uh, I think that sometimes overstructure, um, it could be a good, for me, that's how I work. But a lot of our clients, they don't, they just like to come in, have a casual, <coughs> casual conversation. Um, and I think the narrative approach that I need to more so get into, that is what gets more, um, the clients or people that we support are uh, kind of more open to talk about the stories. Um, I used to be so structured to where I used to always have stuff printed out, mm-hmm. little worksheets and stuff like that before. And then my supervisor in Harlem was like, Josh, why don't you just go in there and talk? Like having a conversation. And I was like, you can just do that. You can't just like, I thought I had to have this printed out, that printed out. She was like, nah, like you can do that, but try more so with just going in there and speaking to them. Yeah. And of course, you know, the course, the questions, the, you know, biopsychosocials and uh, as far as like harm to themselves, anybody else, the mental health history, um, any trauma that they've had, all that stuff. Like once that stuff gets out the way, just, you know, it's just more of a sense of a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've done. And I would say um, therapistaid.org or .com is a great resource. They have a lot of different things to where, like handouts and videos and and stuff that I've used, uh, you know, in my practice. Yeah. And then I think, and mm, my bad. Go go ahead. I think also Joy DeGru, um, Mm. who actually went to Portland State. Yep. Get a PhD in social work. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I know it's not really. A thing she kind of impressed upon me is just like at least. In the black community, just giving a head nod, right? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that you see somebody. Like, I I took that for granted. And as an African-American male, it's, I think it's so much that I do probably that I don't know. Oh, that's a cultural thing. To where it's like, when she named it, I realized that, you know, if a client comes in, it's like, oh, I, you know, give him a head nod. Like, you know, work in the hospital, so you may see him around. Um, just acknowledging people's presence, especially in the black community. Because if it feel like... If they feel like, you know, you're not looking at them or not acknowledging them, then that's, like, probably a snub. But then, you know, the code of ethics and social work is, like, if they see you, you you see, they're supposed to initiate it first. So it's always that mm-hmm. that line to where it's, like, code of ethics, the code of ethics says they're supposed to approach. And I let them know because Boston's small. You yeah. see me around. Not, give me a nod, this and that. But then, you know, some supervisors be, like, who are black and be, like, yeah. I hear that, <laughs> but you got to toe that line between, like, mm. you can't go out there, how you doing this and that, but, you know, just giving them that acknowledgement. And mm. I think that's that's kind of where they probably need some more, like, black people, people of color, brown people um, in those rooms with NASW and all this social work stuff because, you know, it's very white, uh, women-based. Yeah, definitely. Um uh, you know, you saying that reminded me of an episode of uh, the show I used to watch called Blackish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, there was an episode where his son, 
saw another like young black kid and he didn't say nothing to him and the dad was like did you acknowledge that young man's presence and he was like well no why mm-hmm. he was like to let him know that he you know what i'm saying you know so like yeah it's, it's like a cultural thing you know what i'm saying like especially in portland uh you really? know our well yeah and our uh our black community is shrunk you know what i'm saying uh, well not really shrunk but like just kind of it used to be concentrated and they spread us out you know what I'm saying? So now it's like when you see somebody, you know what I'm saying? You just look, you see him, you give him a head nod, just let him know, like, hey, I see you. You know what I'm saying? You mm-hmm. you ain't alone out here. You know? <laughs> Bro, like, I think one time, I think you had posted something about this difference between Portland and Portlandia. Oh, like, granted, yeah. I love Portlandia. It's like a very mindless, satirical, you got to be, it's very um, a cerebral show. Yeah. And, and, you know, I heard from you and I heard from others like, yo, Portland ain't sweet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It ain't about the microbreweries and all this eclectic art and, you know, all the food trucks. And I heard years ago, Portland is where 30-year-olds go to retire. <laughs> you it, know? It, it seems so that, it seems that way. Mm-hmm. It seems that way when you look around and like on a, you know, on a Tuesday and everybody kind of hanging out, you know what I'm saying? It's, it definitely yeah. seems that way. But uh, Portland, yeah, there is a difference between Portland and Portlandia. I mean, I feel like as popular as Portlandia got, people tried to make it like act like like it'd be the actual Portland, you know what I'm saying? But like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so some of that stuff does seem like a little like you know real. I mean, not real, but like it just seemed like oh, okay, that seemed like something that would happen in Portland, you know, like the episode. It's believable. Where, yeah, you know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. the episode where they were talking about uh, where the chickens uh, happy, you know, sending these or these chickens happy when they uh, lay these eggs and that kind of stuff because it seems like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff happens, but. But yeah, there is a difference. I mean, like me growing up in, in the late '80s and early '90s, there definitely wasn't a lot of Portlandia stuff that I felt. But as the years go- went on, I was like, "All right, this is okay. <laughs> I see what's happening," you know. But mm-hmm. you know, it's like a love hate. You know, what I'm saying I wouldn't really. I don't know if I could maneuver anywhere else. Like, a, you know, this is home to me. But just but seeing right. how it's changed, just. Something you know, it's, it's bittersweet. I'm not gonna lie. You know what I'm saying, and that's mm-hmm. some, that's a whole lot of stuff that I can unpack right there. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if we got the time today. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So um, so like um, in a in a profession like social work, you know what I'm saying, where we meet with clients and it could take like one meeting to get a breakthrough, or it could take a hundred, you know what I'm saying, to get a breakthrough. How do you mm-hmm. uh, gauge success? You know what I'm saying. In uh, in your practice, Whew. man, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm gonna be real. I don't know mm-hmm. the answer to that um, because there's so many different types of people that you come across that you have to look at it from the lens of that interpersonal experience. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is, I think one of the things is just like how I can gauge success is. Them coming in and just talking to you consistently. Um, them, like, me not having to run after them too much. Maybe that's, maybe maybe the answer is the question. Maybe, because sometimes, you know, you can, <clears throat> what I do is, I'll, like, I'll email them or, or not email. I'll text or call maybe, like, 48 hours ahead mm-hmm. to see if they're come, they're going to come to the, you know, to the, to the appointment and they come. But it's sometimes where, you know, we have a, a rule where if you make more than, the 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 limit is outreach three times so like text or call 
you can only do that three times. And if they don't come, then you just kind of leave it at that and let the car, the chips fall where they may. Um, but I think just them coming in consistently, following up. But we also know with mental health that sometimes people may not be in the right, you know, mental state to always come up, do this, do that. So there's that fine line. Um, I think one success that I, I definitely had was when I was a, a, a social worker in, in Harlem. And there's a young man who he had so many. Um, he was 18 mm-hmm. and he had so many struggles with what his father told him about masculinity. I can't say a lot of this stuff, but which is very toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, like basically, you got to like no man should show emotion only when. I can't even say, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, you can't be a punk and fighting is the one way we should be able to do this and do that. And after having a lot of conversation weeks after weeks after weeks, he finally just broke that. He didn't break down emotionally, but he was like, really? Cause he would, he would always get you know, like very, uh, combative with me mm-hmm. about what his father taught him. But I would say, and then, you know, I don't want to, I would tell him, I don't want to take anything away from what your father has told you. Yeah. But just to let you know, there are also ways that you can look at your masculinity in dealing with women and in, in having conversations, how to de- de-escalate situations with men. There's more than one ways to do things. Yeah. And after weeks and weeks and weeks of him being combated with me or him not coming, one day he just sat in my office and he was like, you know something? I can really do it like that. I'm not going to be less of a man. <laughs> and you just, I remember him look, he looked out the window and you saw like the, the, you saw him processing. You saw the wheels in motion in his mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I made an impact. I definitely had to get supervision for it afterwards <laughs> because it was just a breakthrough. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, that's what I'm in to work for. Um, I mean, I really like to, you know, be, there for us as as black men right i feel as though in my standpoint from what i've seen in my experience we always see black men um get services after the fact so i sometimes may have to get somebody across my desk that is somebody who was a stab victim or a gunshot wound victim what about the services for these brothers beforehand Mm -hmm. right i feel as though people like me and you are able to be there for them before these things escalate and these situations, you know, blow up. And I think we are a great preventative, um, especially, I'm going to just put it out there, black male clinicians, there need to be more of us. There needs to be more support. There needs to be more uh, resources yeah. um, and things for us uh, to be able to help all these brothers because there's more of us in there. There's more of... Um, you know, young brothers coming in and getting services, and they're not gunshot gunshot wound victims. There's a guy. Um, I know you're a hip hop social worker. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Wayno from Everyday Struggle. Okay, yeah, I know <clears> what you're talking about. And he was saying, I saw something on Twitter, and he was saying, there's so many so-called real NIGGAs that are in jail because they didn't have the 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 skills to de-escalate or talk them way out of something. <clears> yeah. Or, to feel like oh, I gotta be a man, I gotta ride and do this and do that, and I feel like that—that's not—that's—that's that's not what it's about, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it's about just being like I like the way how the NBA, the NBA Player Association, they have like a 
a whole mental wellness division. Mm-hmm. Um, they got the Mar DeRozan talking about, you know, the, his depression or anxiety. It's good that we're in a space now to to talk about these things or to talk about what Big Sean. Um, some people feel like it was a cop out because he used that to sell his records. But yeah, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's Big Sean talking about mental health. There's Kid Cudi. There's so many different avenues and shit. I mean, uh, the Ghetto Boys. Um, my mind's playing tricks on me. Mm-hmm. It goes way back e- even to then. Yeah. Um, and I feel as though with you know, we're not a monolith, but at least from the start, from a mainstream, there's ways as far as like in music and in sports to where we could talk about some things, and they need people like us so we can be better for our families, be better for our communities. Um, be better within each other. Like I, have, I've, I lead a, a young men's group in Roxbury, which is like the Harlem of, of mm. Boston, and um, it was I led a, a, it was a discussion on relationships. Yeah, and it was Valentine's Day, and you know we just generally talked about you know what's Valentine's Day, what's what are relationships, what are bonds, and the guy you know they're like probably sixteen and twenty one, uh, they're. Juvenile, ju- juvenile, the justice involved, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them have these mentalities to where it's like, oh, Valentine's Day is for women. You got to show <laughs> them, give them the cards, and you got to do the romance thing. And to eat for, if that's what you do, okay. Um, and then I also kind of said, like, what is it like to show love to another man? And they're like, they felt as though they got real mm, uh, yeah. awkward. They thought it was like gay or. Uh, they got real just, they got quiet, but I'm like, if that's who you are, whether you're gay or not, it's okay to be that. It's also it's also okay to be a heterosexual male and say, I got, I love you, man. Yeah. And you to have a bond with a man and just be confident and healthy in that. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with showing your vulnerabilities and I kind of just put it out there and I kind of normalize it and, um... We talk about these things and how to have, you know, safe boundaries and how to have a good foundation with somebody and um, the types of relationships there are with anybody, regardless of their background, especially us as men to men, black men to black men, you know? Yeah, I feel that. You know, um, uh, I I just think about how, like, the narrative of masculinity is changing now, and I kind of think about when I was in high school, of like how that probably could have benefited me, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because Definitely. you know what I'm saying because I really there were you know like you had your friends back in the early 2000s you know what I'm saying and you know the, like the masculinity thing wasn't really up for debate it's like you had to move a certain way or it was gonna be it was gonna be it was gonna be hard for you you know what I'm saying out here so I just remember mm-hmm. like having like um, you know in high school and, and be my friends be talking and I remember like it was weak. To like only date one girl, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like you can date one girl, but you know, what I'm saying, but that's your main girl. You're supposed to have, you know, what I'm saying other girls on, you know, that on kind of side. stuff. And I was like, damn, yeah. like, like I really, I really didn't want to do that. But of course, you know, what I'm saying you had to kind of, you kind of have to play the game because that was, <laughs> that, that was just was the game that was being played. So like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like you know, what I'm saying like if we, if that conversation would have started years ago you know what I'm saying like my high school probably could have experienced maybe would have been a little di- bit different you know what I'm saying and like I'm appreciative of like you know 
of like you know like the Kid Cuddies and the Big Sean's and you know all them coming out and being honest because it wasn't a lot of that in hip hop when I was uh you know saying when I was coming up it was like you know mm-hmm. Fifty and you know what I'm saying Ja Rule Ying Yang Twins <laughs> you know yeah you know what I'm saying the old Jay-Z, Boy Banks you know what I'm saying so you I know masculine you, you see what I'm saying and that really wasn't something I was really into you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. I wasn't really like a tough guy I I kind of had to act like I was. I was I was with it because that's just what you have to do, but you know what I'm saying I just wanted to chill and you know do do my thing. You know what I'm saying? Have I, one. I was definitely I was definitely more of a Pharrell kid. You know? Yeah, I feel that. I wanted to just sit back, be cool. Am I bad for cutting you off? That's all good. Um, I was more of that. And Winston Duke was talking about on the mm. Breakfast Club the other day about why do we as black men? Somebody was saying like, why is it you got to be able to fight? You can't smile, and how he said he has to use his words, and yeah. he has to sound educated, just so he's safe, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think that I also try to talk with my young men about like, you know, what are some different words in your vocabulary? Because they just they keep it, they be ah ah or you know I or you know what I'm saying or <laughs> okay that's cool I got you yeah we can I, meet them where they're at but I try to just be who I am hopefully that'll be an example. Um, just to like, there's different types of masculinities, black masculinity that, that you can be in. Of course, like you can be like you were saying, kind of like more chill, laid back. You don't gotta be, as Cat Williams says, gang banging on bacon at 9 yeah. a.m. <laughs> Who got time for that all the time? It's high blood pressure, man. Yeah. <laughs> Eat my oatmeal, eat my coffee, <laughs> be at my desk. You know, wave. That's about it, man. Anybody got time for all that? I feel that. I definitely feel that. I actually seen um somebody commented on um the movie Us. Since you're speaking about masculinity, and they said that um you know the movie a critique a critique of their movie. Now this is a random person I seen online. A critique of their movie was it made the black man look weak. And I'm thinking because Winston Duke wasn't really, you know, his role in the movie. He wasn't like, he wasn't really trying to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yeah, he fought, you know what I'm saying, when he was pushed. But, you know, like to me, like it seemed like he wasn't really trying to, um, you know, have any kind of encounter. He was kind of like trying to like, you know, like, you know, let's just let it pass. You know, they, they're mm-hmm. outside, you know, let's just see what happens. And, you know, like he wasn't out there, you know what I'm saying, you know, trying to, you know, like, Engage in conflict, so I feel like you know that was an interesting critique of them saying it made the black man look weak. But 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 then again, that goes to the you know saying the hyper masculinity stuff. It's like okay, so now I'm saying you're supposed to be you know I'm saying going out there and fighting all four of the people, you know. But it's like mm-hmm. hey, sometimes people, you know, it ain't really about all that, you know what I'm saying. But you know, saying but in the movie you got the brother wearing glasses, you know, saying wearing them, you know, saying wearing the sweater, you know, saying like you know you know like he looked a little Carltonish, you know what I'm saying, but. You know, but then somebody <laughs> said that it made us look weak. It's like, damn, like, I, 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 I didn't like that comment. I was like, that's kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially after I saw the movie, I was like, damn, like, 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 like how? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't get how it, it make it make anybody look weak. But, you know, if you got a, a vision of masculinity in your head of, like, you know, it's supposed to be, like, I'm supposed to be ready for a funk 24-7, you know what I'm saying? No matter. And then I guess it did make, I mean, yeah, that's just my little rant, but. No, it's true. It's I mean, these are the types of issues or these are the constructs that us is well, you know, I'll say for myself, I'm my own work in progress. So mm-hmm. I mean I I'm I'm a I'm a proponent of as clinicians, 
as therapists, you know, we we take in a lot of stuff from people, so it's good for us to go. And I know, you know, I think we're gonna maybe talk about this self care. I do mm -hmm. go to a therapist myself. Yeah, you know, like I go to make sure it's like it's a lot of stuff coming to me in this work environment, but I also have my stuff. And I think the more as clinicians, um, we look ourselves in the mirror. It's easier. I don't say easier, but it's it's a different type of conversation that we can have with people because, you know, it's a it's a slippery slope if you don't kind of work within yourself mm -hmm. and you don't work with others. But that's what I do for self care. And with these constructs, these are some of the constructs that we've all kind of dealt with. And these are the constructs that the young people coming across um, into our facilities or hospitals or universities. Yeah, they're battling too. So I think it's definitely something good to, you know, talk about um, because, you know, you can be in a situation where you don't want to do something, but you actually go through it. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at going to jail or doing this or doing that because you probably don't have the self-esteem, which we, you know, as clinicians, we talk with our clients about, like, you may not have the self-esteem or the advocacy and agency at the time to be like, no, I don't want to do that. Or, yeah. no, I'm going to stick this one out. And I'm, it's what I'm dealing with too, and I'm growing, um, and with within myself. So that's it's definitely not a rant. It's, it's, I think it's definitely part of the conversation. Yeah, you know, because yeah, because I, I definitely was like that dude. Like just thinking about like my earlier years, I didn't really want to have any kind of problems with nobody. But of course, definitely, you know, what I'm saying when the you know when you know when those opportunities present themselves, it's either you you ride or it's like oh man, we can't. You know, said it's 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 over with. You know, what I'm saying for your friendship. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just yeah. So, and I think about like therapy. Like I I don't see a therapist now. I have before. You know, what I'm saying when I, was, when I was about to get married, I was going through some things in my head, and I, I went and saw a therapist because I had an EAP. But uh, I was thinking like in in high school. You know, what I'm saying like that probably would have been the best time. You know, what I'm saying where I could have benefited from seeing a therapist because I had so many like conflicting views of things. You know what I'm saying? And I just, I couldn't really talk to nobody about it because really I just didn't know how it would go, you know? So, mm -hmm. so like, so I think about those times like in high school, like, man, I probably could have been cool to sit down and talk to somebody who really didn't have any, you know, because even my mentors I had had like those views of masculinity, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. so, well, shit, I can't really, <laughs> I can't really go, you know, <laughs> talk to you about, you know what I'm saying? Me just wanting to like, you know, have like one girl. You know what I'm saying? I just want to chill, be a square. You know what I'm saying? Then I got my friend saying, oh, you need you need a couple just in case. It's like, damn. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of work. You know? And Definitely. It was something I just didn't want to do. You know what I'm saying? So, and then, you mm -hmm. know, you got, like, self-esteem issues. You know what I'm saying? Those kind of things. And just high school stuff. You know, just, just adolescent stuff that, that makes life weird. Like, that would have been real mm -hmm. cool to sit down and talk to. I didn't think I knew what a therapist was when I was in high school, though, to be honest. Like, I don't even mm -hmm. think I even knew what that I had no idea. I had no idea. You know, that was just mm -hmm. kind of, if you was, you know, if you lived in Lake Oswego, you probably knew what a therapist was, but not where I was from. Mm -hmm. You know, so. I think that, like, therapy now, like, I'm so, I'm reading a book. I was actually reading before we got on the call called Black Men in a White Coat. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, I think you post a, that. Yeah, huh? I think you post that. that uh-huh, yeah. And, um... He's talking about him going at first. I'm at the part where he's in his, like, uh, I guess, residency or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he's doing his different rotations. And there's definitely uh, 
there's definitely a. I definitely can understand where a lot of African American black people, people of color, can come from because, you know, this whole helping field and kind of like mental health mm-hmm. can be in, in medicine in some places, but it definitely has uh, discriminated against us for a while, and you know, prenatal health and all this the things that you know black women need for children is sorely lacking. Yeah, and and I also say that too because is we want our people to seek services. And I think these services, just like going and getting a checkup, doing a physical, your eye exam, um, you know, the dentist, going and checking up with what's from the mental to the to the dental um, should be good. Not even in a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. It should be just going and checking in. But just knowing the history of a lot of things, like I suggest y'all go out and, uh, you know, read this book. It's, it's yeah. kind of deep. And, uh, it's it shows you the, some of the ills that that have, have been going on, but uh, it's a, it's a history to us not seeking services as much, mm-hmm. and then not having the access, and you know. But you know, people like Chris is and our people that you know want to vouch for it and hopefully make it more of a, of a of a of a thing to do. When you get everything else checked in, you know, check in with your mind as well, not even in a crisis or emergency situation. Yeah. I definitely agree, and I do want to check that book out. You know, what I'm saying I know you posted. I was like, oh yeah, that's like a good one to read. But, but, you, but it is, um, you know, something like you know, like growing up. You know, what I'm saying like you only went to the doctor when you like had when you had to. You know, what I'm saying yeah, and yeah, and you know, and you, you write about you know, what I'm saying like that comes from like this history of like you know just of not being really well represented in the field. So it's like. It's like ah, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause a lot of people don't right. trust doctors. You know what I'm saying? And they, they just don't. And you know, just because it's a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't get the treatment we're supposed to get. And you know, right. that could be because right. of bias or whatever. But but you know, there's a there's a discrepancy in somewhere. You know what I'm saying? That that needs to be addressed. And I feel like yeah, he's doing it with that book. Um, so um. How, so let's get into like how does um, you know like how do you feel that race and mental health are connected? Whew. <laughs> Man, well, how much time do we have? That might be a whole nother <laughs> like. <laughs> um, wow. So yeah. So I think it definitely plays a lot into it. I feel as though, as a clinician, I feel as though. I would assume that my clients, they probably like, okay, Josh is black. Let me, let me speak to him. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely that level of like, I can be usually not all the time, but usually I can be more open and honest and talk and I can get, you know, different services because the average person who I've had clients to be like, wait, that was it. Like, you didn't sit me on the couch and do this whole Sigmund Freud type <laughs> relaxed release type thing. Yeah. And you just the way we're talking, I think that us being who we are, just and just being having black skin, that that definitely and knowing our clinical skills and all this stuff, that definitely breaks down barriers because I think people look at, you know, race and mental health. Um it, it definitely stops a lot of client, uh, black, uh, black and brown clients from coming in because they feel as though these white people will not be able to um, understand where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think even in a, in a regular everyday sense, it's like you walk down the street and it's like, uh, are they? Are this cop coming towards me? Or it definitely is in your everyday 
your everyday, or at least mine, my everyday thinking, like, I hope they ain't coming over here. I hope I'm not in trouble. I always feel like I have to explain myself mm-hmm. or validate myself in a way, and that definitely impacts, you know, your mental health. Um, so even from an everyday sense to, in a you know, in a job sense, it's cultural things that white people, a lot of times, they'll put your business, like, how's this? How's that? They'll start yeah. asking, like, why are you asking me that? You know. <laughs> now yeah. I got to... I got to move a certain type of way in here. Now I'm looked at as like the non-approachable black guy. Mm-hmm. That's like that. There's other brothers that I work with and we kind of, it's like an unwritten code. Like we know what each other goes through. So like I can keep stuff and talk to this brother or that brother. Yeah. But like Becky social worker or something like that. Mm-hmm. They start asking like, yo, I start getting like real, like uh, what's the code? Just, I just start not talking a lot. And I think it's like, that can be looked at as you being an angry black man. So mm-hmm. race and mental health definitely play in, in, in a lot of situations. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, like I'd be saying, like, culturally, we, we really don't, like, put our business out there like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, we kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, even though we talked about it in, or, like, we talked about it at work in a work setting, maybe, that still doesn't mean I want, like, you know, everybody to know, like, you know what I'm saying, like, like, I need everybody to know what's going on with me. Like, I probably told you something because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you know, somebody might have Yeah, you know, but, yeah, so I, I definitely feel that. I know, um, you know, like, my supervisor I have, um, I have um, you know, for my LCSW is a person of color. You know, she's an Asian woman. And um, I just like the fact that, you know what I'm saying, like, I can, like, explain something, like, situation to her. And, like, I can say it might be racism. And she doesn't, like, question it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, she doesn't like, well, you sure? You know, it's like, she's like, oh, yeah, it probably is. You know, because she's been, you know, like, you know, she's been through it as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so, um, I know you started a, a network on Instagram or in, in, in your practice called, um, Melanated Social Work. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, is that like you by yourself or is that you and like some of your people's, you know, like in Boston or, um, you know, like, you do you mind going in and kind of explain a little bit about like you know what I'm saying like what's um, you know purpose behind it and you know what I'm saying how it started and where you wanted to go? Certainly, certainly. So melanated social work came about. Um, it was founded by me and three other brothers. Mm-hmm. We all went to Boston College, and at the time I was living in New York, and my boy Jesse, he was graduating BC with his MSW because I graduated a year before him. So I. I came back from Brooklyn to Boston on the low, and he didn't know. Mm-hmm. I knew he was having a party, so I surprised him. He was like, yo, God, you came? I was like, yeah, bro, you're my brother, man. What you, this is what we do. Yeah. So it was me, Jesse, another brother by the name of Mike, and another brother by the name of Marvin. We took a picture, and I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, all MSWs, but we're all melanated. Yeah. Melanated social work. And we took a picture, and I was like, that was that. And that was where the idea of the naming of it came. And then it also turned into, you know, at the time I was in New York, Mike was in Washington, D.C., Marvin is still in Philly, and Jesse's in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. we, we, we did a, what's it called, Skype peer supervision. Yeah. Just talk about stuff. Well, it, and I'm going all over the place. It's we met at B.C., Boston, Boston College School of Social Work. Um, you know, when you're in a so, when you're in a social work class, you're probably 
especially being a, a male of color, you're one of maybe a f- like the only one in the class, and we just always felt like, man, we felt like singled out or just isolated in a sense. But we just kept that connection. Yeah. So fast forward to us, you know, post grad BC, um, we just kept in contact doing peer supervision. Like we used to do it more. We don't do it as much because life picks up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And we at least now do at least once a month mm-hmm. um, meeting. But it just came out of a sense of like, what is it like? Millennial social work came from like. What is it like to be a person of color in social work in these institutions or in these agencies that you're the only person and they'll, sometimes a lot of the white social workers will come to you, talk about quote unquote Jose or quote unquote Tyrone, quote unquote uh, Maria or Keisha and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you have to be that person or the microaggressions that you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, We just started networking and talking about all this stuff. And we thought, hmm. What it would it be like for us to network and talk about what it's like for us and others and talk about what it's like to be, you know, maybe black and queer, black and disabled, uh, Afro-Latino? Uh, uh, what is it like to go to uh, and speak to different clinicians of color? Just all the stuff that we kind of talk about and that, you you know, um, that you see on the page. Mm-hmm. You started, like, having all these ideas and, uh, oh, this person, Georgia Group, posted this. Oh, uh you know, uh, Dr. Jess, mm-hmm. who's on Breakfast Club, she does this, or Dr. Joy Bradford does this. Yeah. This came out of, of what is important to us as clinicians of color in this work um, to ban the wall, to talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter, to talk about Sandra Bland, all this stuff. Because to be honest, all the shit that we post, basically, none of this stuff ever got covered at BC. Mm-hmm. I remember about the, around the time Mike Brown, the whole case was going on. Yeah, nobody addressed it at, at school, and we felt like, wow, yeah. all this stuff was going on, and we're talking about this whole privilege line and white people saying, "I'm really not that privileged." Like I had to fight too, yeah. and just because I have a 2013 a Honda Accord, and or I have a Passat, and I grew up in the freaking suburbs of Boston. I have a struggle too. It's like, okay, we've heard enough of that. Yeah. We we talking about some real issues. So mm-hmm. it just came out of a sense of stuff that we felt was left out of our curriculum. Yeah. Um, stuff that we experience and that people don't talk about because in his work, I mean I'm reading in this book, Black Man in a White Coat, he felt sometimes race was left out and sometimes you're in clinical, um, like a presentation meeting or mm-hmm. the rounds as we say. And like certain cultural nuances, ethnic nuances, racial nuances, in my opinion, in my experiences, were always left out. Yeah. And I'm like, y'all ask about this, y'all ask about that, totally glazed over. Yeah. So it came out of that. And right now I'm based in Boston. Uh, Mike is in Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mike, um, Marvin is in Philadelphia. And Jesse's in Oakland. And, you know, we spoke at BC almost two months ago. Um, we got some other stuff in the works that I don't want to say because I don't want to uh, jinx it. Um, but we want to be able to go to other schools, speak about things, talk about masculinity, do panel discussions, mm-hmm. facilitate trainings. Um, just basically, it'd be dope to just have it as like a like a consulting firm or like a consulting agency. Yeah. Um, it'd be dope if we can go <clears throat> speak to, you know, in in the, some NBA team or an NFL team, um, I know that there's a sister, Tish Garen, if I'm saying her name correctly. She is the 
the the Carolina Panthers director of player mm-hmm. wellness. Yeah. And she's an LCW. Yeah. So it'd be cool to like what we want to do is just like how I'm a I'm a I'm a sports guy. So Deion Sanders at the time when he got drafted, he felt as though cornerbacks weren't getting paid and giving the respect and they're just due. So what we want to do is just put that mental health thing on our back as LCSWs, MSWs, um, what have you, put it on our back, get the get the respect that we deserve, be able to get opportunities that we deserve, and get paid what we deserve. Because I feel as though, and this is just my thing, <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox, but this is just my thing. I feel as though, and I might go get my PhD, so, but a lot of times in this world, in this work, people with doctorates in, P, in, in, in psychology or this and that and the third, they get a lot of like love and this and that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I, we had a post the other day and it was like, y'all know how many hours we have to sit for, how many hours we have to work yeah. to get this license and that license, the CEUs, just like, that gets overlooked. And I can't get mad at people for them not knowing, but our licenses and credentials are just as good as somebody with a doctor and this yeah. and that. Because a lot of stuff that we do, nothing against them and a slight against them, is very uh, practical and it's very like, Experience based. Yeah. You know, so we're just trying to put the melanated social work uh, on our back to give everybody their just due with black and brown skin um, to get the pay and opportunities that they deserve, man, because mm-hmm. it's a long time coming. And you look at this, you look at this, uh, you look at this nation in about like what, 2050 or so? Yeah. It's not going to be a lot of white people around. Yeah. So we are the culture. <laughs> um, and we want to just push the ball forward and be able to be trailblazers in what we do. Yeah. You know, with respect to like, you know, Whitney Young and all those, you know, black people that, that trailblaze, we, you know, we looked at them and we're trying to, you know, push the ball forward for our people. Yeah. That answers your question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel that. Um, I think I'm, I'm on the same mission. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing it more like, you know, I'm by myself. So, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, I know well everybody who I who I've encountered with, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, we can all work together. But um but yeah, you know what I'm saying, like um, you know, like I got a vision board that's updated, I'm trying to I wrote down like all the schools that I would like to visit and engage mm-hmm. with students with, you know what I'm saying, uh engage with professionals, you know what I'm saying. Just to really try to um just I feel like yeah, we talk about it a lot in our in our grad school classes about like, you know, cultural competency and all that stuff, but I feel like to really put like some meat behind it, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, mm-hmm. this is what this is what this is what you think it means, but this is what it this is this actually is is meaning right now. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. yeah, uh I definitely like the movement, you know what I'm saying? But I do feel what you're saying about, you know, you know, um us not really getting like the the you know like the props you know what I'm saying because we don't have like you know like a doctor scott or something like that you know what I'm saying like you know when you're mm-hmm. a doctor you know that that always going to hold more weight you know what I'm saying but at the same time it's like you said you know we put in a lot of hours you know what I'm saying we put in a lot Definitely. of hours you know just to you know you know so yeah so I definitely feel that um but I want to go back to what you said about um you know about how you you were speaking about um you know like like being like a a black person or a Latino person that might be queer or something like that. Um, I feel like in our communities of color, you know what I'm saying, we, we don't really address intersectionality if you're like a heterosexual person. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like like if you're a homosexual, you know what I'm saying, of course you do. But well not of course, but you know, you, you probably are. But um but I feel like, you know, like in our work, it's like especially with like amongst black males, I feel like, you know, 
we talk about like being black and then like it's kind of like shut out you know what i'm saying it's like, okay then that, that's like the that's it so i just want mm-hmm. to say like i appreciate y'all if, you know what i'm saying like even you know like um you know even though like i'm a heterosexual male you know what i'm saying just to you know showing like true allyship you know what i'm saying like right. the, no, so right. like, just the, like really speaking about intersectionalities you know what i'm saying that mm-hmm. exists you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. whether we like it or not whether we think it's an agenda being pushed or whatever, all kind of crazy stuff that I hear, it's out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, Definitely. And it needs to be, it needs to be addressed. So I appreciate that. Right. I mean, we just try to be um, more so in solidarity with people. We don't try to like be a <clears throat> like a a cheerleader to cheer people on and this and that. We try to be like, what what can we do? How can we support? Um, I'm definitely. I'll be real. I don't know everything. I've been definitely as a call. It's just called called in. So maybe some of my views and I appreciate that to learn and grow. Yeah. I'll be able to call the brothers um about maybe some problematic toxic views. So it's definitely <clears throat> pretty cyclical. I'm glad I got my, you know, melanin and social work brothers to 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 keep me on my square. Mm-hmm. Um and also just for that support, because in this level of work, man, with all the stuff that we're going through and in, in the current political state, man, you need as much support in calling in uh, as possible, man, because I I feel as though with with us as you know heterosexual black men, um, you're right. The conversation definitely stops there. How can we be a voice? How can we support um, you know those that are queer, those are disabled, those that are sex workers, mm-hmm. um, those that you know are not as able bodied or you know all the all the things, right? How can we be less transphobic? How can we not be not less? How can we not? <laughs> How can we not be transphobic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how can we just be supportive? Because, I mean, I, I'm all for, like, all black lives mattering, right? Mm-hmm. Afro-Latino lives, uh, you know, ones in the South, one out West, you know? Ain't no liberation without us all getting liberation, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah, okay. I feel that. Yeah, thanks for speaking on that. Um, I just feel like that's, like, a, you know, and, you know, me, myself included, I really don't speak on it a lot because it's not a life that I live. And I, and I try to, like, to be, um, I try to be, like, a, not courteous, but what's the word I'm looking for? I just don't respectful. want, like, yeah, respectful, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that I go through. So, like, I don't want to, like, you know, overshadow or put my own experience or put my own experience or, like, I don't like to get into, like, you know, things that, that um you know if i'm not living i don't like to give my opinion on it because i feel like those kind of opinions are like not like okay so so what you're saying is you're speaking on what you think it is instead of you know say like what it actually is you know what i'm saying so i just know like you know me hearing like like you know like going to these trainings and hearing about you know all these like you know things like equity and hearing somebody try to speak from my point of view but it's like I, and i know i don't really appreciate that you know what i'm saying so like, i try not to do that. so i try not to reciprocate it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. that's just you know something I, but i feel like as i feel like i could be better at showing allyship you know what i'm saying i could mm-hmm. you know just I, I don't know how but i feel like i could be you know i mean i, I would say just I think it probably goes more, more so with like be, being dairy more than allyship, and just I think it also starts just listening, mm-hmm. being there, um, putting in work, talking with people, letting people know like if there's somebody like a Tariq Nashidi <laughs> calling that out and be like that's not a place for this or yeah, um, you know, 
if you see somebody getting harassed or bullied or, you know, feel like there's an injustice going on, definitely being able to speak up in their favor and back them up. Because uh, I think they, you know, we need as much support for all our people in general. And I will say, like, I'm still learning, too. Like, we had a training. It was We have these, like, <clears throat> meetings twice a week. And I, I learned about, like, all, like, LGBTQI and mm-hmm. the gender unicorns. And there's actually a health center here in Boston for those that, you know, identify as such. Yeah. And the thing is, is like with the whole intersectionality thing, we can always work towards it. But it's kind of hard to get all this stuff because, you know, at this health, it's a health clinic that is for, I would say, more like LGBTQI um, and queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like no people of color that are there. Mm-hmm. It's all a lot of white. So it's like. You have a lot of people of color coming in that identify as such, but speaking to white people. Um, and I feel as though, what if I was in that setting? Would I not know this term? Would I not know that term? But mm-hmm. it's in a sense just to like educate myself and uh, try to be as <clears throat> on the ball as I know. Because I'll, I'll be, I'll admit, I don't know all the, the things. And um, definitely grad school helped a lot, but just having a supportive friends and, and, and network definitely helped me to learn more. I'm, I'm still learning and it's yeah. going to be something I'm always going to have to learn at. Yeah. I definitely feel like grad school really <laughs> moved me, um, you know, a, a lot to like, like as far as, as far as like intersectionalities, you know, mm-hmm. I remember um, there was one assignment where we had to interview ourselves and then record it and then come back at the end of the um, assignment and like, listen to yourself or mm-hmm. and then like you write a paper about it and like it was like like on some of the stuff you said in the beginning of the term and then you know come back and listen to what you said after you went through like a term of like you know kind of learning and unpacking your own issues and I was like damn mm-hmm. I, I was alarmed at some of the stuff I said I was like you know because I never really would think you know saying that I would have like kind of like you know like I would have like you know like the capacity to say like things that are hurtful and mm-hmm. you know. And and then like you know listening to myself speak like that I was like damn that's kind of that's kind that's kind of that's kind of wild so I, I do yeah. so I do appreciate you know what I'm saying that part of grad school to kind of like let me like really learn about like intersectionalities and like you know just just how you know everybody needs support you know what I'm saying right. like we all need we all need something you know what I'm saying and for me not to you know use you know what I'm saying my you know like my lens and to put it on somebody else. As like you know, right. added to be like this is what you know. Say like you know, because as some, you know, like you know, as as black males, you know, what I'm saying like we don't really like you know. I wouldn't say we have a lot of privilege, but you know, what I'm saying we're still males and we're still you know hetero and all that kind of stuff. So like if this ginger heterosexual, you know, what I'm saying so like if so if I come <laughs> through and try to put my lens on somebody who's like trying to figure their own stuff out, that could that could re-traumatize them. Right, you know, so I, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciated that. That there were there were not a lot of assignments I appreciated in grad school, but that one was like, okay. That was that was worth my five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, an assignment. It wasn't anything intersectionality related, but it was just a sense of like you know, but in a sense of biases and prejudice, we basically had to do an assignment where we looked ourselves in the mirror and talked about something that. It was my diversity class. We had to write a paper on something that we messed up or something that we said and what we would do to rectify it and just keeping yourself accountable moving forward to not do the, the, the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, you got you to look yourself in the mirror first 
Um, and it's good to have that support, but you got to look at your, yourself in the mirror first. Um, cause again, like you said, you don't want your lens to be the lead lens for somebody who has a different lens. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I got you. I got you. All right. So, um, well, two quick questions. I gotta get out of here and go pick my daughter from my, from my mom's house. <laughs> um, what does social work look like in Boston? I'm sorry, what's the question again? What does social work look like in Boston? (laughs) (sighs) Man, white as hell. Okay. Um, It's very white. Um, It's very white, Mm female-led. So it's it's a whole other topic we can get into. At the panel, we talked about the melanated social work. Um, Mm -hmm. Our discussion on diversity and inclusion, we talked about us being black men with the history of black men with white women going mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Rosewood to, to Oklahoma City to Emmett Till. We got to walk on eggshells. So in Boston, <clears throat> if you look at the fans and stuff like that for the sports, the city of Boston has a lot of people of color. I'll say that. And certain areas outside. But overall, yeah. there's people who, like you got, we, t- we touched New Hampshire, um Vermont, Connecticut. It's some very non-diverse states. So a lot of those, since it has a lack of diversity, a lot of the stuff that is here is just like egregious. Um, and a lot of white women not being able to see things from a, a non-white woman's sense. So, and they're the leaders. They're the ones that are the directors and the supervisors. So. You know how you said there's politics and this and that. You got to be able to navigate that. Mm-hmm. But I think that at the same time, there is a lot of support uh, for people here. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, hospitals, health centers, um, you know, therapy, therapists, uh, outpatient clinics. Um, they, they definitely put into in Boston is the capital of Massachusetts. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, fiscal, fiscal progressive things that yeah. they put into budget. To make sure that people are getting the services that they need. Uh, my thing is, is like, um, and there's definitely a lot of different services for different, you know, populations. Um, be it like maybe Latino, uh, you know, Asian, uh, queer. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities. Um, it's just we need more people in, in from those communities um, at the heads of the table uh, to push the ball forward. So. Yeah. That's where the level is. I'd rather, <clears throat> it's better than like, say, I think services here are better than like in Florida because in Florida, there's only one license that you have mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of opportunities. They're not going to put a lot of money into the budget fiscally in Tallahassee, um, which is the capital of Florida, mm-hmm. to, to get services and to get outcomes. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Massachusetts is Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds a lot like Portland. Uh, to be mm-hmm. to be honest, uh, but like uh, you guys have more sports teams, of course. But uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't sports teams though. <laughs> oh, well, you don't. Hell no. You're not a Red Sox guy. My fault. Who are they? Oh, that's okay. That 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 brought up some some pain right there. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, the thing is, and I'm, I'm bringing it back to race. Like, so there's a guy named Howard Bryant. He had his book called Shut Out, and it talked about race and baseball and baseball and um them desegregating the schools in the 70s mm. redlining yeah the red Sox 
shutting the doors to Jackie Robinson and not letting him try out, even though they had one open for him. I mean, the Bruins booing. Um, they have a history of booing a lot of black players, but doing stuff to P.K. Subban, okay. who is now in the National Predators. Um, Dominique Foxworth talking about being called nigger in, in Gillette Stadium. Mm-hmm. Or even DeMarcus Cousins, who... Um, he got called something racial at the TD Garden the other day, and it's just I mean, Bill Russell dealing with what the shit he dealt with. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, I used to be like in the hoop history. You know, I remember. Um, you know, I was younger, and I remember him talking about that. Right, I and I mean, racism hap- Racism happens everywhere. There's a special place in race hell for an- these anti-black, anti-Latino, white supremacist supporters. Yeah, and I mean Boston has championship racism to match the championship of their sports, and that goes into social work. But I, 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 yeah. let me get off my soul. <laughs> well, okay. Well, hey man, I was. I mean, you're right. I mean, because when it's that deep, you know, it's that deep. I mean, you know, like if yeah, if it's all connected, it's connected. If you know, facts are facts. You know, so it's 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 a very passive aggressive racism here like i lived in florida before yeah and when you talk confederate flag or somebody calls you out your name you knew what it was but it's something to where when you have to process it in your head the microaggressions and whatever what have you or um like me having more like one time i had in this in a sense there was somebody who did a white man who didn't have my credentials none of that but yet he got the job but yeah i was told that my qualify my qualifications didn't meet anything. So, um, but you really, but they tell you really did a good job. Like you don't gotta tell me all that. Yeah, it's very passive here, man. Yeah, and it messes uh, the psyche because you can't get closure on was that racist or not. Yeah, that's um. I was explaining to that um to one of my old coworkers like, you know, like just being a, just being a black person, it's like you all, you like especially in a place like Portland because. Like in 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 regards of Portland and Boston, that sounds pretty similar. You know what I'm saying? Like the kind of passive aggressive stuff. So it's like you never really know. You know what I'm saying? Like okay, was that because you know I was black, or was it because you know like so like yeah, I feel like that does mess with your psyche because you really you really just you know because it's not as blatant, so you really mm-hmm. just don't know. And you know, and they try to walk around it and the stuff. It's like like just don't walk around it. Just 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 keep it a hundred. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is what it is. I'm not going. You know so. Like you know, don't insult my intelligence. Definitely, <laughs> you know, don't do that. And y'all, y'all were a sundown town too. Portland, um, yeah. There's a there's a statue out there with like indigenous people, and it was something to do with the when the white man. Came. It's some we got statue or something. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that here. I mean, not not in Portland per se, but like Dallas, Oregon. Um Roseburg, Oregon, uh, like you know, southern, southern Oregon, uh, eastern Oregon, um, you know, like there's like there's like maybe four towns where like I feel like all right, this is cool, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah, a, a lot of times I'm always like, you know, my head's on a swivel because like you know because Definitely. because you're right, you know, like sundown towns are a thing. They still have um um like in like I was saying Dallas has a sundown rule, but it just it's just not enforced. You know, but they never mm. took it off the books. But it, but they just don't enforce it. And so. I mean, Oregon was founded for basically white people to go to, and it not to be any type of pigmentation in there at all. And yeah, I've heard stuff about playing and all this stuff with the rose guard. Oh, yeah, but yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, they have um, now. Now they're starting to um, bring up the the history of of you because know, because. 
I think how white Oregon was, people were like, people started really asking questions like, why is this a certain way? You know what I'm saying? People started asking questions. So now a lot of history of it is bringing, um, it's getting brought up and people are like really learning, you know, the truth of like, you know why? Now, some people care, some people don't. You know what I'm saying? You can't make everybody care, but but it is it is gaining a movement, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. of, of why, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, looks this way in, in Oregon. But, uh, so... Last question before I let you go. Um, how does Josh take care of himself? Oh, wow. So, I do a lot of things, man. So, I think one thing that I hadn't been doing that I'm starting to do more so now is just, like, uh, eating more fruits and vegetables, drinking more water. Mm-hmm. Um, just eating better in general, not trying to – not eating as late doing a little fasting, so eating right, trying to get enough sleep, um, trying to read more, uh, putting, turning off my phone or putting it to, like, do not disturb so I'm not on social media and nothing like that, so just unplugging, um, you know, trying to speak with my family, um, stay in touch with my loved ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, go, I go to acupuncture. Acupuncture is a really good one that really helps out with stress. It is not as painful as people may think. Yeah. Um, I go to a therapist and uh, I work out. And uh, I like listening to, like, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but, like, there's one called, uh, it's not a podcast. It's called Dead in Hip Hop or Is the Mic Still On? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I like to listen to. Um, yeah, and that's, that's basically it. And I like to clean my bathroom. That's kind of like what I like to do. <laughs> I get in my bag when I clean my bathroom. Yeah, hey, bathrooms is a place that need a lot of it. <laughs> you feel me? They need a lot of cleaning yeah. in there. All right, well, mm-hmm. man, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, um, connecting on this, you know, this beautiful morning. Um, yeah, I just everything you're doing. Uh, you know, what I'm saying, uh, you know, with the mel- you know, with the melody of social work. Uh, I love that platform. Thank I just, you. I just love that. Uh, you know, we out here, we trying to build something that's, you know, that's that's needed. You know, mm-hmm. so and we love your platform and thank you for all you do in Portland. You put me onto like what's it called C four. Yeah, C four. Yeah, yeah. C four Portland, and you had somebody from like. Uh, He's like the traveling social worker or something like that. Hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 and just all the stuff that you're doing too, man, Portland, man, props to you, man, you know, hopefully one day we'll be able to connect out there, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely, we can do that. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, player, appreciate it. All right, man, have a good one, man. You too. Thank you for everything. Yes, sir, you too, man. Peace. Now we back, and um, you know, uh, shout out to Josh for uh, you know coming through and dropping some of his social work knowledge and sharing his journey and uh, you know him building um, Melanated Social Work Network uh, with uh, you know with some of the people he met in grad school and all that stuff. Um, he didn't he didn't shout out his Instagram tags and all that. Uh, kind of forgot about it, you know. Um, but uh, I kind of spaced it. But uh, you know, if you want to follow him, he is his social work name is our Instagram name is the Bearded Social Worker, and also you can follow Melanated Social Work on Instagram <coughs> as well. Uh, 
But um, I'm not going to do um, a diagnosis of the week <clears throat> this this week. As some of you probably heard today that, uh, you know, rapper Nipsey Hussle was um, gunned down um, in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's just... Uh, just kind of meant to, to threw me threw me for a loop, you know what I'm saying? It fucked me up a little bit just because, uh, you know, I really don't get too sentimental over like you know public figures uh, passing, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, this one, it was it was hard because like every like like every interview I watched with Nipsey Hussle, he was always like dropping some kind of knowledge, you know what I'm saying? Uh, really, just had good energy. You could tell that he he wanted. He, he wanted the best for his people, you know what I'm saying? He wanted the best for for every you know, for everybody, you know. He was he was in the community, he was he was trying to buy it back to block and all that stuff. Um, you know, really giving good game on uh on um, you know, really putting good game on uh just entrepreneurship. If you're creative, you know what I'm saying, on your own um on your own catalog, uh, you know what I'm saying? I know a few years ago, um, he, he had really put the test on, like, you know, um, on how you value your own work. I remember he put out a CD, and it was $100, you know what I'm saying? People was tripping, like, oh, man, ain't nobody buy that CD. But people bought it, you know what I'm saying, because that's just the way he was moving, and that's the kind of love he showed, and people showed the same love back, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you were watching a Nipsey Hussle interview and just leave, like, smarter, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't about drama and bs and you know all that kind of stuff that that most interviews are, are from are, are are shown to us you, you you listen to his one of his interviews and you really would you know understand you know saying like how to make your next move you know i know last year when i was uh you know when i was um trying to really figure out the hip-hop social worker thing um you know the album uh a victory lap came out and and the title song, just man, just just listen to that, you know what I'm saying? It's that beat and what he was talking about and how he was flowing. It really just put something through me, you know what I'm saying? And I just was looking at things different, you know what I'm saying? I was looking at everything I was trying to do differently, you know. I mean, it really, I really was, I wasn't really in a place, you know, to take an L, you know what I'm saying? Just because I was, I was just vibing and that song just put like a spirit in me. It's like, all right, well, if we gonna make it happen, if it don't happen, we gonna know that we gave it, you know what I'm saying? 110. So. Yeah, it just kind of fucked me up, man, to hear, you know what I'm saying, uh, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying, uh, Nipsey Hussle, you know what I'm saying, to go down like that, you know. And really, you know what I'm saying, um, it really, like, triggers, like, you know what I'm saying, just kind of some, some thoughts that I have, just being, like, African-American man, you know what I'm saying, in this country, you know, it's just, it's just hard. And, you know, you always kind of think about, you know what I'm saying, like, like, it's a day of the day where I get harmed, you know, or, or where I get disrupted, you know. I always have, like, this fear that, like, you know, like, something happens and I can't get to my daughter, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then I, then she's left to kind of figure it out, even though she's one, you know what I'm saying? The, you know, life don't stop. And she's left to figure out, you know what I'm saying, are the people who are taking care of her at that moment to figure out what to do with her and how to get her to the next, you know, to, to the nearest family member or my wife or something. And I just know, like, I know he had a daughter and a wife, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and it's just, it's just sad, you know, like, it, it really just, it really just is, you know what I'm saying? And I see a, a man had to leave his legacy behind like that, you know what I'm saying? And we just, more trauma and more trauma and more trauma that we got to deal with, you know what I'm saying? And then, 
yeah, it's just a fucked up situation. And, you know, I'm hoping, I'm praying for the best, you know what I'm saying, for, for his fam. And, you know, I know, you know what I'm saying, a lot of people, pump, you know, might think that just because, you know what I'm saying, they was they was um, upper class and it's like, nah, something's money came by. You know what I'm saying? Something's money came replaced. You know, um, growing up without a dad is going to be rough. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be hard. You know, they're going to need a lot of support. And it just was a sad day in hip-hop. For real, you know, R.P. Nipsey Hustle, And, you know, I shed a few tears for him just because, man, the energy. I just, every time I... I checked in, you know what I'm saying, and watched something or listened to something. He was just spitting good game. And it, it's, you know, it's really, it's really, it's really fucking us up. So, um, but, you know, um, appreciate Josh sliding through once again. Uh, you know, uh, you know where to find this at Hip Hop Social Worker, hiphopsocialworker.com, um, Instagram, everything's Hip Hop Social Worker, except Twitter, because I can't fit it. AJ Social Work, uh, C4, C4PDX. Um, if you're a clinician of color or you're looking for clinicians of colors to build with, go to c4pdx.com. And also, um, you know, I am taking clients now in my, you know, in my in my practice. I'm um, I'm contracting with the company. If you want to learn how to re- um, send a referral to me, go to hiphopsocialworker.com. Peace. Be easy.